The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two today, News Talk 1010 host and personality Jason Agnew is here. Kofi Hope with Monumental Strategies and the Toronto Star. Larissa Waller is a public affairs strategist and a Canadian under sanction by Russia for repairing, you know, for expressing a view, I guess. Uh, good to have you all. And we will talk about this first anniversary of the war in Ukraine. However, I'd like to start elsewhere, including the Toronto mayoralty race being declared for the 20. 6th of June. I think we can dispense with this one fairly quickly because Jason Agnew, I don't know if there's a lot to say, except that it feels like it was 100 years ago that John Tory quit, and it feels like it's going to be 100 years before we get the new mayor. Yeah, John, it's four months, a third of a year, like 120 days. I don't understand why this is taking so long, especially because, well, we've had three elections in the past two years, so is the infrastructure not in place to do this all again? Yeah, good question. And I forget the price I saw yesterday. I think it was about uh, 14 million bucks. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. uh, Larissa. Yeah, 14. I mean, I can think of a lot of better ways to spend $14 million in the city of Toronto. Um, You know, I honestly, I'm on team John Tory shouldn't have resigned, um, but he did in the most John Tory way possible. And then, you know, I think if the the date of the election really gives room for almost anyone to enter. If it was a quick election date that really would have co- colored who's going to run, like who can raise money, who has already name recognition. Um, the further date, I think, opens the field up, but like it just drags it on. Yeah, I, I mean, Kofi Hope, it kind of feels like we're in that part of the submarine where you get in and close one door, but you can't open the other one. Yeah, but, you know, to be honest, the thing is, if we have a really quick turnaround in the election, it it really just favors folks who come in with existing name recognition. And I think one of the things we desperately need in this city, and you look at the fact city council has some of the lowest, what has the lowest trust rating of any level of government, is we need new ideas. We need new folks. We have so many incumbents that have just been there for a long time and a level of government that's not very dynamic, not very responsive. So I'm okay with giving time to actually diversify this field. We always talk about why can't we get good people running for office? One of the reasons is it's so tough at a municipal level if you don't have that existing office you're holding. So I'm okay with giving some more time, getting some new blood into this system. Yeah, but Kofi, 120 days versus, let's say, 60 days, that's not going to make any difference whatsoever. You're not going to see a new candidate be able to rise and bring about that name recognition from someone that we don't know within four months. That's pretty much impossible. This is going to be someone that is going in that has to have some sort of track record, at least have a running start to become mayor here so this just seems like something is delayed i agreed you do this faster you cut everyone who is maybe humming and hawing about this if you're humming and hawing right now then maybe the job is not for you interesting point okay so um kofi i want to start with you on this one because you're sort of you know being a city builder is one of the things that's part of your ballywick um there's a survey out and i don't know how helpful this is it finds 42 percent of canadians believe in socialism uh but nobody wants to raise taxes to pay for it now i guess the real question here would be define socialism yeah, yeah. And that's the political scientist in me would say probably most of those folks don't mean socialism as we think about it in a classical sense, government controlling everything. But I think this is this is the state we're at, right? It connects to our municipal election so many levels where we have so many things we know 
aren't working well in Canada at the moment, aren't working well in the city. We have so many things we need to invest in. But, you know, in general, electorates want our cake and eat it too, right? We want these things without paying the increased taxes, without paying increased user fees. And it just doesn't add up. And I think in our mayoral election, to link it back, that's one of our conversations, right? Is how low property taxes have been kept in Toronto compared to the rest of the 905, our brothers and sisters living just, you know, 20 minutes away. And we have so many issues that we need to pay for in the city. Are we willing to make the sacrifice collectively to pay for it? Well, Larissa, that was one of the impressions I took away when I was looking at the brief on this particular study, which is we always seem to lose the connection between what we pay in taxes and fees and what we want government to do for us. So, for example, we come up with a city budget where we, we demand that they make the subway safer. So they throw $48.5 million at the police force and we all say, how dare you? Right. Yeah. You know what? I think that this poll specifically, when I when I read it, I thought, okay, well, forty two percent of Canadians don't have a clue. And then you look at <laughs> you know the the distribution on age, and it was the younger they they were when they responded to the survey, the more in favor of socialism they were. Um, and I think that that's like a long held um, trend. Like that's probably not new that the people who don't pay tax and 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 aren't maybe as jaded, you know, a little pie in the sky, Pollyanna, everything's great, sing kumbaya. But once you actually have to work and pay tax and you want value for your money that you're paying tax for, you know, I drive down the streets and, and my car gets wrecked because of potholes. I'm paying a heck of a lot of tax for there not to be potholes. And, you know, I pay a heck of a lot of tax to be able to feel safe on the subway. And you're right that I don't feel that there's value for that. Um, the idea that socialism is an appealing, you know, political structure Sure. Who doesn't want everything and not have to pay for it? But that's not real life. And I think that that's just like it's it's a joke to read that, frankly. Although, Jason, I'll admit I was a little surprised at the age distribution, because let's face it, when you retire, you become one of the greatest beneficiaries of socialist uh, systems. I mean, that is true. All of a sudden, your your drugs are free uh, at that point. But uh, in this case, John, I mean, my mom always said it's better when it's free. You know, you get a you get a it you know, a meal that's free is going to taste better. But she also said somehow, some way they're always going to get you. And I think that's the scenario. At some point, we are going to be paying these taxes. And I actually agree with Kofi here. You know, you look at property taxes outside the GTA and they are a lot higher than what we're paying here. And maybe that's something to look at for the new mayor when we eventually get one. So the feds went looking for somebody who could uh, help answer some questions about unmarked graves of indigenous people. And instead of maybe asking the indigenous people who already have an oral and written history on this, they went to an organization based in the Netherlands. Um, Larissa, this just doesn't only sound counterintuitive. For me, it's one of those great case studies and how government gets pretty well everything wrong. Yeah. So I thought about this story because I, I worked on the Pope's visit to Canada in the summer and I interacted with a lot of different Indigenous communities. And a few things that I learned was that um, the Indigenous communities are not monolithic, right? So even with this story, the government's saying that it was a Cree person or Cree group that asked for this and and this other First Nations like, no, we don't want it. Um, I think when we look at reconciliation and unmarked graves, where there's a decision point to be made, you need to lean into defaulting to Indigenous led. It's not for us to say what they need or or, or how they want to um, go about something. It's it's if 
we really need to let them tell us or us as a non-Indigenous people what they need. And then we facilitate that. So I think on this one, the government got it wrong. Yeah, Jason, it just makes sense to me that if you have a community that is has been aggrieved, maybe you could ask them first before you hire some outsiders from from another country. Yeah, isn't that exactly what happened with the residential schools? The outsiders came in and did awful, awful things, and now we're turning to outsiders to make this decision. Bad move. Absolutely terrible move. Kofi Hope? Yeah, and I think, you know, when we think about reconciliation, building capacity is a big part of it, right? Like one of the legacies of kind of colonialism in Canada is our isn't always the capacity in Indigenous communities and all the areas that we need to see. So I could see someone who was trying to move this quickly would say, okay, we'll just go to a supplier overseas. But it's about a different mindset that says, well, there must have been a way to do this contract, to work with local people, to build on knowledge, but also to invest in the capacity of Indigenous groups so that they would be able to one day go to other parts of the world and use their knowledge and insights. But to do that, sometimes you have to go slower. You have to invest more time in really building people up. And sometimes we're just trying to get quick wins and folks at government are just trying to push things out and check the next box. And I think this is an example of when that goes really wrong. Uh, Let me start with Lisa Waller on the first anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And my first question to you as a person who has been sanctioned by Russia, has that actually had any measurable effect on your life? No. Oh, maybe. I think that there might, (laughs) no, I think that there might have been um, some work things that, you know, they're looking at me and saying, I can't do business in Russia. And, you know, is that really a really, you know, how long will that last for? I don't know. Like 10 years from now, if there's a new Russia uh, with new leadership, am I still going to be sanctioned? I don't know. Right. Like, it's not like they tell you these things. So maybe I just I don't know. But I I don't think so. Um, but I want to correct you there because the terminology is kind of strange. It's not the first anniversary of the invasion. They invaded in 2014. Right. This is like the first anniversary of like the escalation. Um but yeah, it's a hard day for my community. It's a hard day for the kids at my kid. My, my kid's school has about 140 refugees um, from Ukraine. It's a hard day for us. And I remember a year ago, you know, that with the time difference, it basically means like 8 a.m. in Kiev is like middle of the night here. Um, our phones are lighting up. And, and these aren't like people we don't know. These are our friends and our family and our colleagues who are in bomb shelters, who are running west, um, who have who've lost their lives, who've been blown up, lost limbs. Um, So it's definitely like a hard day for us today. Kofi, hope your thoughts on, as Larissa pointed out, this is the first anniversary of the escalation, but it's also the first anniversary of the West taking note and action. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, But, you know, what's interesting about that is we look and a year in and our our sanctions regime has not been terribly effective. You know, Russia is still selling lots of gas. Um, There was, you know, some immediate drops, but things are are doing okay. I think in the long term, it it is going to hurt their economy. But I think this is, you know, this is one of the trickiest global problems we've faced in a generation. And to me, I think it's important Canada's involved, but it's also important we think about, you know, our global order is kind of shaken up 
And how do we rebuild it? How do we create a system? Because we have China, we have Russia, we have lots of actors who have different interests than ours, but we're sharing this country, this sorry, this planet together. And we don't have those systems to kind of move through a lot of these issues. It, it really makes me worry about the coming decades and, and the kind of global conflicts and confrontations that we're going to see in other parts of the world. And you're absolutely right. There's, there's drama large and small. And Jason Agnew, you get the last word. Over the last year, I've become friends with Adam Zivo, who drops in on our show from time to time and i just can't believe i've got, I got a friend in a war zone yeah it's it's pretty crazy it is a scary world out there john but let me put a button on this by relating it back to something that you know you can get behind uh the zirkova vodka unity brand uh is based in halton and gives 100 percent of proceeds from the unity brand to help ukraine so go out and buy yourself a bottle Right. It's, it's <laughs> wonderful vodka. It's really, really good. I was just going to say, I don't drink that much. I can't fund the whole war. Thank you all. Jason Agnew, Larissa Waller, and Kofi Hope. Catch the roundtable. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.